Welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. Pete, you got your mind on basketball today, huh? Big time. Yeah, big game. 1 p.m. Celtics taking on the Bucks, And I don't know how much... I mean, I know you like your Cavs, Chad, so maybe you, you're a little bit hip to basketball, but Chris Middleton out for the series is like... As a Celtics fan, it's like, oh, it's exciting. Like We have a better chance to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but it's also kind of just like a bummer. I wanted to see him, him take... Because he'd be a huge guy for us to beat. He's killed us in the past. It's always like a weird feeling when you get injuries like that for an opponent in any playoff right like think about like you know finding out that you're you know for you the Red Sox for me the Guardians are in the playoff series and like the opposing team's ace is going to be out it's like oh we have a much better chance of winning but like I kind of wanted to I kind of wanted to beat up Garrett Cole like I wanted I wanted to see them hit this guy and so like you have this weird mix as a fan of being like man, I really wanted to see that guy pitch. I really wanted to see that guy. I wanted to see us beat their best. Right. And then you don't get to. They're talking about that in the other series, Miami and Philadelphia. Jimmy Butler, former teammate of Joel Embiid. And it's like, you know, he's like, I wish Embiid was playing. This sucks. Like, we want to test ourselves against the best. And he's, in my mind, the MVP. So, yeah, just a bummer. But, yeah, big day. Big day here in Boston. So, we're not going to talk too much about basketball. I am I am playing auto new basketball this year. I did play auto new basketball this year. And so, I've got to start figuring out, like, what I'm doing for next season because I butchered oh, it this you, year. Can you remind us of, like, your – it was, like, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, and Zion Williams or something like crazy I had, I had, like that. I had all of those guys. Uh, <laughs> during w- Once he got injured earlier in the season, somebody cut Kevin Durant. I added him. Huge. Because, But at that point, I was done. I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go out and – yeah, it was a mess. I can't think of three like worst players to have this year. Like that's just terrible luck. <laughs> However, they are all very inexpensive for what they are. That's and I you know, Simmons, who knows? But Zion and Kyrie, like Kyrie should be good to go next year. I have a cheap Durant now because he got cut during the season and I had nothing to lose, so I just grabbed him. And I've got like eight lottery picks. <laughs> So oh, I'm just like, right. yeah. we'll, we'll have to see how they pan out, right? I mean, this is just like any other prospect. But anyways, let's let's turn our attention back to baseball before I start asking your advice on my team because I need it, <laughs> but it's not a productive use of the Keeper Cup podcast. <laughs> Early season, there's, you know, we're still only a couple weeks in, three weeks in, and it's still a point, like it's weird because May 1st feels like this point in time, and we're recording this on May 1st, right? You'll hear this on the 2nd, but we're recording this on the 1st, and it feels like this moment in time where you should be like, oh, we're a month into the season, we can start to react to stuff, but we're actually less than a month in because the season started late, and a lot of stuff is still really small sample sizes. Yeah, uh, and that that's what makes it difficult because you're looking at some of these numbers, you know, Chad to prepare for this podcast uh Chad was using the Statcast page where the year over year changes and some of them are like incredible and it's like it, it's eye opening and you know we're going to talk about a player later who's clearly made an adjustment and he's he's reaping benefits but then you look at some of the other ones and it's like well how much do I how much stock do I put into the fact that you know Gio Urshela is currently rocking an 11% K rate so sample size does come into play but hey this is the data we got to work with yeah and so with that I think we're going to look at some of the stuff that does start to stabilize a little bit earlier and some stuff that may be interesting already we're going to start with plate discipline because plate discipline Strikeout percentage and walk percentage for hitters starts to stabilize pretty early in the season, and so you can actually start to react to it now. You already mentioned Gio Urshela, but the top five improvements in strikeout percentage 
are Gio Urshela, who's whose strikeout rate is down 13.1%. Joey Wendell down 11.4%. Jordan Alvarez, who's down 10.8%. Alec Bohm down 10.7%. And Javier Baez down 9.7%. Baez is the one that jumps out at me because like, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I think about Javier Baez, I don't think about improving strikeout percentages. Like that's not what I expected to see from him. No, not at all. You know, we're talking about some of the numbers beforehand. This is a guy who's it's definitely going to stabilize in the other direction. Still in the bottom 1% of baseball, and I'll, I'll let you dive into those more specific stats, but bottom 1% on StatCast in both chase rate and whiff percentage. So that's bound to stabilize. And not only that, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the walk rate actually goes down from where it is at 4.3. He is a career 4.7, and he had 5.1, but 3% walk rate in 2020. So, <laughs> I mean, even if it stays where it is, who cares about what the walk rate is? Maybe that is about where it will be. But the idea that he's gone from a 28% strikeout rate guy, having posted over 30 the last two seasons, and it's now down to just 24%, that's not going to stick. Yeah, and I, you know, I was sort of intrigued by this because I, I spent all offseason, like he had spent last year in Wrigley for the most part, then went to New York. The, the city field's not a great place to hit, but Wrigley is a pretty decent place to hit, especially in the summer to Detroit, which can be a tough place to hit. And if you looked at his last few years, you go back to 2018. So in 2018, he had the second best strikeout rate of his career at 25.9%. And then year over year, he has gone up every year since then from 25.9 to 27.8 to 31.9 to 33.6% last year. And so it's like, this guy, everything's headed the wrong direction. I don't like any of this. And then you jump in, it's like, oh, his strikeout rate's down almost 10%. That's pretty impressive. I wonder how he's doing that. You ready to hear how he's doing that, Pete? I already I'm talked about this. So this is like such a fake so thing, but I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Are you ready? Here we go. Here's how he's done this. So Javier Baez, always known as a free swinger. His chase rate is up 6%. It would be a career high of 52.3% if that stuck. He, he is like, if you're an opposing pitcher and you throw a ball to Javier Baez, he's more likely to swing than to take it. So that that's that's not ideal. His end zone swing percentage is actually down, but only like a one percent. It's basically the same. His contact rate on pitches out of zone. Okay, well he's swinging at more pitches out of zone, but maybe he's ham. Nope, he's not hammering them. His contact rate out of the zone for his career is fifty three point six percent. It is thirty five point seven percent this year. His contact in the zone is down from sixty six percent. 66% over his career to 53.1% this year. His swinging strike rate, which again, Javier Baez, we know he's gonna have a high swinging strike rate. His career as of now is 18.5%. This year, he's at 28.1% swinging strikes. Like everything is terrible. Everything looks bad. I have no idea how you like, how you take a free swinger who has trouble making contact and make him swing more and make contact less and decrease his strikeout percentage that much. Like maybe I, I, I would have believed that like he was putting a bunch of weak contact in play or something because he was just swinging at everything. But like, I am not buying it. And, and I think if you look at like his stack cast numbers and stuff like that, he looks pretty good, right? He has a 365 Woba on the year, 368 X Woba. So you're like, Oh yeah, this all sort of adds up. But his that's based on like his strikeout rate and his walk rate and what happens when he puts the ball in play and like that strikeout rate i'd be very surprised if it stays below 30 percent from this point on unless he makes a major change in his approach at the plate because his approach at the plate right now is awful legit like 
even by Javier Baez's standards, it's bad. And folks, if you want a good laugh and chuckle, and and if you're thinking like, no, you know what? Maybe the guys are wrong. Maybe maybe Baez is gonna make a change here, and he'll be a sub twenty five percent carry guy. Google Sammy Long. Javi Baez. You got to click on the MLB.com one and watch the whiff he had on a Sammy Long changeup. You've probably seen the video before, but I mean, so so what's actionable? Because if you drafted Javi Baez, you weren't you weren't expecting a 295 average anyway, and he's still making good contact. I think the Tigers are, you know, still better than people expected, even though Torkelson isn't isn't quite performing up to expectations just yet. So I'm not, I, at least I'm not saying to sell Javi Baez. And you know, Chad and I were kind of in lockstep before the season started that. We weren't big Javi Baez fans anyway, given his ADP. But if I did draft him, I, I'm not, I guess, unless somebody thinks the strikeouts, the low strikeout rate is real and they're willing to buy in on that, which I'd be surprised if anybody did. I'm still holding on and hoping he'll start swiping some bases because strikeout rate aside, I mean, that's the most glaring thing. When you look at his profile, still zero stolen bases. He's obviously spent some time in the IL already, and that could be why. But we drafted Javi Baez. If you drafted Javi Baez, you were hoping for... 30-20 again or something like that. Yeah, you're, I, you're not getting that. I am much. saying to sell Javi Baez. I, I think if I, I mean, I was I was adverse to having him anyways, and so maybe this is just you know, maybe this is half a victory lapping or something because it's a weird thing to say when he's actually hitting the ball pretty well so far. But I I would be selling Javi Baez on the basis that and someone you're in trade talks with is going to go look at his page and be like, wow, his K rate is way down, and under the hood, it's just it's just not going to stick. And I would find that manager who's like spent the last, like there are, there are baseball fans, most of them in Chicago who have spent the last decade ish being like, man, if Javi Baez could just cut down that strikeout rate, think about what he could do. Sell that. Somebody believes in that. Somebody thinks that's what's happening. Sell it. That's, that's my take on Javi Baez. Oh, actually, you know what, Chad? I, I think that Javi Baez is a great buy right now. I'm looking at the keep or cut Otmu League, and there's a manager. I can't tell who it is. Somebody has Javi Baez for $12. What a bargain. If I was in that league, I would go hunting for that Javi Baez. I'm going right to go now. poke around and see if I can tell who that manager is, because I've got I've got a guess at who might be trying <laughs> to sell that Javi Baez. And, hey, what do you know? This team Just, is called Pete's Team. <laughs> wonder wonder. <laughs> Weird. I didn't know there was another Pete in the yeah. league. Good, good luck selling him to a league of people who are hopefully listening to this right now. <laughs> and you know what? Add Kelnick into your offer, please. Yeah, Kelnick. So this is an interesting one. Jared Kelnick. <laughs> we, we're gonna we'll, we'll jump now to the bottom five in year-over-year strikeout changes. The guys who have gained the most strikeouts. Carson Kelly, who I, I've been a big fan of, and this is very disappointing. I'm very sad to see this. He is. Increased his strikeout rate 15.9%. Fran Mel Reyes, going to go from a guy like for fantasy to a guy in the Guardians. Just keep hurting me, List. Keep hurting me. Do your worst. <laughs> Fran Mel Reyes, the second most gain in K, 13.5%. Tucker Barnhart, 12.3%. Jared Kelnick, who you just mentioned, 11.6%. And then Carlos Correa at 11.5%. Uh, you know, most of this list I look at and it's like Tucker Barnhart, whatever, like, He's a, a a middling fantasy catcher, anyways. There's not a lot of not a lot of actionable information on him. I don't believe that this is an issue ongoing for Carlos Correa. I think he's too good of a hitter, and I think he'll be fine. Carson Kelly, as high as I was on him, it's like fine. Move, like I don't even care if you want to move on from Carson Kelly. It's not. He's just not that important from a fantasy perspective. But Kelnick and Reyes, it's like man, 
for, I mean, Framo Reyes, I don't know if you've watched the Guardians at all. I obviously have. He looks lost. Like, lost, lost. Like, he has no idea what's going on. It's almost like when an infielder gets the yips. And, like, you see a ground ball hit to them, and you're like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. What's going to happen? Where are they going to throw it? Can they make – and, like, then they make the throw, and you're like, oh, good. He is taking pitches that he can crush. He he had a pitch the other day, and I'm trying to remember which game it was, where just basically a middle-middle fastball, right? The kind of pitch that he should be able to easily destroy. And he checked his swing. I'm like, who checks on a middle-middle fastball? Like – you don't check on a fastball. You might start on a curve and realize you're too far in front of it and you're not going to like try to hold up. But like if you get going on a fastball and you're Fran Mill Reyes, just unload on that. And it, he just looks, he's a mess. I, I don't know. They gave like, they've given him a day off here and there. Like, I don't know what to do with him. I don't know. Like it, he's a problem for fantasy because I can't put him in my lineups and I don't think I can cut him. No, you know, he was he was dropped in uh, one of my new leagues as well. It might have been the the listener league. The problem with him is even if you believe he can come back and, and all of a sudden start making an impact, because he's definitely an impact bat, is it, it's really hard to just bench a guy who's util only. Because even on those days where, like, you know, you might have an opening in your roster, somebody's not playing, like, you can't get him in there. That obviously makes it a lot more challenging. I think he's kind of due for a phantom IL stint and then a, a rehab assignment to get the bat going again. At this point, that might be all that, that can do it because, like you said, it, I, I like the equivalent, right? It's like having the yips at the plate. And if he is checking his swing on fastballs and he's hitting under 100, and this is a guy who's already dealt with strikeout issues in the past, I mean, it may definitely just be time to, to phantom IL stint. You know, he's got a sore shoulder. Sit him out for a couple of weeks. Let him rehab and then and then see what you got when he comes back because he's not doing anything for the major league club right now. No, he is not. He is, by the way. Speaking of that, util only. He's made three starts in the outfield. So know your league settings and watch the Guardians lineup because the way they're moving people around, he is going to continue. I think to get at least a little bit of time in the outfield. Out of new leagues, you only need five starts. Yahoo, I think it's the same. He will end up as an outfield eligible player in most places that are that are most of those places pretty soon and i think he'll probably get to like 10 starts at some point so mm-hmm. keep an eye on That'll that for you yeah if he if he's util only for for like fraud or new he's already outfield eligible but he'll he'll re-earn that for next year which will be important for his his long-term value so keep an eye on that for sure looking at another name on this list jared kelnick i mean it, it we're, we're hitting a point now where you know it's easy with a rookie to say, look, he's a rookie. He's figuring things out. The league's adjusting to him. And I think we need to be fair to Kelnick and note that, like, he's still only played 113 major league games, 445 plate appearances. It's not even a full season yet. He is still learning. But the numbers are ugly. They're beyond ugly. They've gotten worse since his short stint last year, right? The average exit velocity is way down. He's not even averaging 85 miles an hour on his batted balls. And the K rate, the reason why we're talking about him, is up at 40%. And honestly, like, I get the idea, well, we got to send him down. But I don't think so. Like, what's the point? He's going to go down and crush AAA again. He has to figure it out against Major League Pitching. And now Mitch Hanniger is going to be out a while, grade two, high ankle sprain. Like, there's going to be endless opportunity. And it's like, it sounds cruel. And it may not be in Seattle's best interest if he's this bad and he's not going to figure it out. He's going to be a detriment to their lineup. Trust me, I know what that's like. Look at the bottom five hitters of the Red Sox lineup. 
But man, I, at this point, if you have him in fantasy, like he's a cut or he's a bench. There's no way you're still starting him. Is he a cut in keeper? Like, uh, it depends the cost, of course. Yeah. Right? I, mean, I mean, I think it, in redraft, I agree. Like in redraft, uh, you can move on. If and when he figures it out, yeah. you'll you'll have benefited enough from whoever else you added that it'll oh, be fine. Sure. In a keeper league, I mean, I don't know. I Like, not that it's a fair comparison. It's never a fair comparison to bring up Mike Trout. <laughs> but like, you know, Mike Trout's first cup of coffee. And yes, it was only part of a season and you know it's 135 plate appearance is a different thing but like he had a 296 woba his first taste of the bigs like some guys struggle at first he you know kelnick's not the first to have this issue and i i'd be very very hesitant to drop him but like in an out of new league where i have him i'd be thinking about him more like a more like a prospect than a major league player at this point and, and right i'd like not a guy you're going to have in your lineup, not a guy you're counting on, but a guy that you're hoping later this year will get, you know, quote unquote called up, right? For him, it's not a call up, but get called up to your big league roster and be useful because so far it hasn't been good. Well, the the problem with that and not new is like, like we can call him a prospect. Like I have, you know, Luciano, I'm looking at a random team right now. I have Luciano and York for $2 each. Kelnick's 10. Like if I want to compete, I'm, I, and I'm not saying I'm going to cut him, but like he's really putting me in a tough spot here. So in, in keeper leagues, like maybe I'm not looking, I, I'm obviously not going to cut. If his price is bad and it's a shallow keeper where you're not keeping a lot of players, then sure, maybe he's a cut because I would treat that no differently than a redraft. But even in a deep keeper, if there's somebody out there that really believes in Kelnick, I might just try to move him. Not that I don't believe in him, but I probably believe in him less than this owner does. And if I can get something that's going to help me this year, like I say, life is short, try to compete. And this kid is not helping anybody compete at all this year. Yeah. If you're looking for some positive signs on Kelnick, and there's not a lot, but last year he hit all of three balls over 110 miles per hour. Um, He had a 112 mile per hour. I'm going to, I'm going to restate this a little bit because he did hit three balls over 110 miles per hour. But one of them was a foul ball. One of them was a home run, 110.9 mile per hour home run. And one of them, the description of it is that he hit a saw, he grounded out softly to the pitcher. So I'm not really sure how legit that 110 is. So (laughs) if we, if we sort of write that one off for a moment, he basically had one ball in play over 110 miles per hour last year. He's got two already this year. He's got a 114-mile-per-hour home run, which is a new career high for him, and a 110.2-mile-per-hour home run. So while the average exit velocity is down, he is tapping into his sort of top-end power a little bit more often, it seems, in the early going. Maybe that's a positive sign, at least something to build on. But yeah, I I mean, you said like you can't really send him down. The only thing I don't know, and, and the Mariners would know better, is is there something going on with his swing, right? Is something, if there's something mechanical that he needs to figure out, then you could send him down. If it's just, he's having a hard time with major league pitching. Maybe you could make a case for like a, you know, a psychological reset, right? Send him back down to triple a just to like, like he's not going to prove anything except maybe remind himself that he can mash. And sometimes that helps, but yeah, ugh, not, not great. Yeah, and, and I get that again, but I, I also worry about, like, if this kid gets sent down again, even if it is mechanical and it's like, hey, work on this. Like, 
that's got to kill your confidence a little bit. And now, like, getting lapped by Julio Rodriguez, who, you know, has had his own struggles this year for sure, but he actually looks like he's kind of coming he's on strong lately. Yeah. yeah, so I, I, it's going to kill this kid's confidence, I think. I mean, it's not like I know him, but, man, getting sent down again after once again hitting under a buck fifty in the major leagues, like, it's starting to get ugly. Yeah, I, I think that this is one where one of the things that sort of drives me a little crazy when fans are like, they have to send this guy down or they can't send this guy down or whatever is like, we don't know these people. And I think it's right. one of the things that we often forget is that they are people. It's like, I don't know if Jared Kelnick is a, like he may be the kind of guy that if you're like, look, dude, this isn't working. You got some mechanical stuff to work out, go to Tacoma and get them figured out. He's like, Oh no, no, no. You don't get to send me down. I'm, I am going to blow up the world when I come back. Like, just wait till you see what I can do. Or is he the kind of guy who's going to be like, Oh, I really thought I was here to stay. This is so frustrating. Like you just don't know. And, and they do, right? Presumably they do. And and so, you know, in that one, I think all you can do is sort of trust the Mariners to do what they can. But man, it's a shame that he's really struggling like that. Yeah. Let's take a look at the year over year walk changes and a couple of names near the top of this list that really interest me, including one of your favorites. We're gonna go from five up to number one because i want to i want to leave number one as the big reveal for you pete i know how much you like this guy <laughs> so number five gaining 8.1 percent in his walk rate is jesus aguiar number four is jesse winker which i find fascinating it's not like winker wasn't walking before so going from 10.9 percent to 19.1 percent walk rate for winker eduardo escobar gained 8.7 percent michael a taylor gained 10.4 percent and your boy anthony santander Gained 13.1%. This guy, like Santander, the biggest knock on him was, you know, he won't take a walk if you give it to him. And now, I mean, his his increase in walk rate is a good walk rate. Like, <laughs> like let alone going all the way up to 18.4% walk rate so far this year. Just very different approach for him. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's been extremely promising, too, because I, I think like la- earlier this week, he was like second in baseball in walks behind, I think, just like Winker and Muncie or something like or no Soto and Wink. I, it doesn't matter. But yeah, you know, it is. It's super promising. And if you look at the average, you're like, oh, man, but it's, he's still only hitting 224. Uh, there's a there's reason for some optimism. I mean, I, I guess I don't know how much for batting average, but his fly ball rate and his line drive rate are way down from his career averages. His fly ball rate in 2022 is 18.8 for career. It's a it's a 26%. His line drive rate is actually at the same exact spot, 18.8. And for his career, he's 25.7. So if, if those normalize, I think the power could go up a little bit and, and we could start to see those numbers creep back up. I am curious to see just what the expected batting average is. Yeah, the expected batting average is a little better than where he's at right now. It's still not great at 249. But just seeing that kind of change, it's... Don't think like, oh man, well, I don't play in a league that counts walks. I play in a standard five by five, so this really doesn't matter to me. But think about what that means. That means he's swinging at better pitches. He's being more patient at the plate. He's harder to pitch to. He's going to get on base more, so there's going to be more opportunities for runs. Like, there's a lot here for Anthony Santander, especially when you consider the price that you paid for him. You're going to get value out of that pick because of this change at the plate. And like Chad said at the beginning of the episode, these are the numbers that stabilize quickly. Like, this isn't a fluke. You know, he might he might not be a 20% walk rate guy like a Juan Soto, but is he probably, you know, above 10%? Is he above league average now at, at walking and potentially getting on base? I think so. So even though they moved back those fences in Baltimore, this is the type of player that doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm kind of excited at what he's bringing to the table in the early going. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I think we we talked about this with with Javi Baez as well. That you know, you got to dig a, a level deeper and see what's going on. And as quickly as things like strikeout rate and walk rate stabilize, the, the reason those stabilize quickly is that they are often based on intentional changes to a swing or to an approach. And so one of the things I'm always looking for is like, okay, well, what's underlying this? Why is his strikeout rate up or down? And that's where with, with Baez, I was like, man, that strikeout rate is down, but I am not believing it at all. With Santander, he has exactly the opposite thing going on in, in a good way. His career O-swing is 38.1%. He's been over 40% three of his five years. He's at 29.6%. Like that's a career low by... 7% and it's a continuation of a trend from last year. So he set a career low in swing in O swing and chase rate last year at 36.7% and is now basically doubling down on that. His Z swing, his swing on pitches in the zone is also down to a career low. So he was at way oh, yeah, he was over 70%. He's now at 59.6%. And, and I I, I want to note that like I often hear people say like, oh, you want a low chase rate and a high zone swing. And there is some truth to that, right? Because you want guys to swing at pitches they can hammer. But having a low zone swing is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Because swinging at pitches you can hammer doesn't mean switching, swinging at every single strike. It's like if I look at the Z swing laggers in the past, you have guys who like Jonathan India last year was bought was was lowest Z swing among qualified hitters. Jordan Alvarez, fifth lowest, actually fourth lowest for Z swing among qualified hitters. Yuli Gurriel, Max Muncy, seventh lowest. You have a lot of sort of like contact guys. David Fletcher's in this group. DJ LeMahieu's in this group. Gurriel, who I already mentioned. Jesus Aguiar is down here. Another power guy. Carlos Correa was 13th lowest zone swing last year. Juan Soto was 14th lowest zone swing last year. So you get a lot of, of names at the top of that list as well. So like if you go to the top of the Z swing guys who swing at a lot of pitches in the zone, Ozzy Albies, Kyle Tucker, Avisail Garcia, Tim Anderson, Bo Bichette. The point of that list is not to say that one is better than the other. It's to say that like there's actually multiple ways to be a good hitter, which I think we all knew. And, and so for Santander, it's not so much that I'm saying – He's swinging less at pitches in the zone, and that's good. He's swinging less, and he's being more patient, which is, to me, a deliberate change. It's a sign that he is intentionally doing something differently, which means that these improved results are not just like, oh, his BAPIP is up, which it's not. It's only 267. Or his home run per fly ball rate is up, which it kind of is, but not meaningfully. Like, it's not just luck. It's not just noise. He actually is come into the season intending to do something different and is executing it and getting results because of it. And that is that can stick. All he has to do is maintain the swing profile that he is, it seems like, intentionally cultivating. And that's a really good sign to me. So I'm, I'm buying Anthony Santander. I think I should go look at my leagues. I don't think he's a free agent anywhere at this point, but I wonder if he's on any trade blocks. I wonder if anyone's looking to sell high because if they're looking to sell high, I'm I'm in. Yeah, I'd be in too. As you were talking about the zone swing, and I think you made such a good point. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, ultimately, is what, what Chad was getting at there. And I think it can be, like you said, right? Because I look at a player like Cavin Vigio, who when he was actually getting play time, he had a really high walk rate. But he was also taking so many pitches in the zone that he also had a really high strikeout rate. That's not Santander's problem. 
Santander's strikeout rate right now is 21.8. His career is 21.1. He's right where he should be. This tells me he's not going up there trying to walk. He's going up there making better decisions. And we're seeing the same thing with Alec Bohm, who we were going to talk about because he's made the most significant gains in K-rate. But Alec Bohm is laying off the first pitch. He's going to the plate thinking, I want to see better pitches. I'm going to lay off. He swings at the, he swung at the first pitch this year 10% less so far than he did last year. I'm trying to find that exact number. So first pitch swinging Alec Bohm in 2021. Am I looking at the right thing? Yes, uh, 34.3 this year. That's down to 23.8. Look at Santander. He's made the same adjustment. It's not quite as drastic, but first pitch swinging in 2021 was 27.9. In 2022, it's 20.9. Now, both of those figures are lower than MLB average, but it's still noticing like a going to the plate with a mindset shift. They're not looking to walk. They're looking to see better pitches. Yeah, I, I almost wonder if for Santander, the new dimensions at Oriole Park, I was like, okay, I can't just go up there trying to hammer every ball into the left field seats. Maybe it was that, maybe it was something else. Maybe I'm just speculating. But it's interesting that that park, you know, Everyone expected it to be much worse for offense. It has been, and it will be, but something's really shifted for Santander. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm super in on him. I'm in on Bohm too, by the way, I, I think. And, oh, and yeah. for a lot of the same reasons, right? It's like the, this deliberate change in approach. It's one of the things I think you can really buy and sell on early in a season is somebody going up and doing something meaningfully different. And, and when I look at those two guys and I hear the numbers you're citing, it's like, yeah. These are real results. I, I'm super, I'm super intrigued by this. Bohm is a lot more exciting to me. I think he's, I think he's breaking out. I, I do. I mean, all the offensive numbers. He has all the pedigree. He had a hit tool of like what sixty, like his his prospect yeah. grade. Like this is a, this is a legit talent, and I think we're finally seeing it. Yeah, and, and since we're talking about guys who are you know chasing less, a few other guys who are who are sort of near the near the top of the chase rate improvement board. Will Smith has actually had the best chase rate improvement in baseball among qualified hitters. Michael A. Taylor up there, Tucker Barnhart, but Jake Cronenworth fourth. Jose Iglesias fifth, and he's playing a lot. So maybe as you know, deep league, sort of an interesting, interesting name there. Salvador Perez chasing less, which is, you know, if if he like he if he could narrow down his strike zone and really focus on the pitches he can hammer even more than he already has, like that would be that'd be huge. Miguel Sano is chasing less. Like th there's a bunch of guys who are, who are doing a better job with that. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot to add, but I, uh, Salvador Perez is at a point where like, I almost don't want him to change anything, you know, like yeah. dude, if you're going to be a catcher, that's max 40 home runs and hits like 250, that's fine. Let's just do that, please. Yeah. Fair enough. Let's take a look at guys at the other end of the walk rate change, the bottom five. So your five biggest drops in walk rate, Carson Kelly, Never good when you've got the biggest strikeout rate increase in baseball and the fifth worst drop in walk rate, but he does. He's down 8.5% in his walk rate. Don't you just feel bad for him? Like last year, hitting 338, mm -hmm. six homers, then fractures his toe, and he's been not just bad, he's been atrocious ever since. Like, are we ever going to see that again? It's, it's, I, I hope so. I, I like Kelly. I hope he does well, but man, that's that that's ugly. Yeah. The others on this list are, from a fantasy perspective, maybe more interesting. Your second, sorry, your fourth, your fourth largest in, say this one more time. Your fourth largest decrease in walk rate is Shohei Otani. 
Then Jonathan India, Bryce Harper, and the largest decrease in walk rate is Yasmani Grandal. Uh, Otani is interesting to me because, you know, he spent most of last year, like Trout was hurt. Rendon was terrible. This year, those guys are back. He's got Walsh in that lineup as well. Taylor Ward has come back and is like destroying every baseball that's within three feet of home plate. You would have thought Otani would walk less. And so it's not a surprise that his walk rate is down, but this is just a huge drop. I mean, it's, he went from 15%, which is really good to 6.3%, which is not really good. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know what to say about that or about the Bryce Harper one, other than they're bats that I just trust. And I kind of expect that once Otani gets hot and, and Harper gets hot, they're going to get pitched around a little bit more. Maybe they are seeing more strikes because those guys are helped like Philadelphia loaded up. And like you said, the angels are now healthy. So you kind of have to pitch to them. You can't pitch around them, but I just trust them to to kind of be fine, even in the walk rate department, even if they see a little bit of a of a dip this year. The one that sticks out to me on on that list is is Yasmani Grandal because I mean that's that's his value. Yeah, what else right? does he do? Right, yeah, like he hits two ten with twenty five homers. The idea is he gets on base, he he crushes it, and you know your Fangraphs points leagues and your your typical points leagues. If he's not doing that, major yikes. Yeah, I, I've got. I'm a big fan of Grandal. I've got him in a number of places, and I'm trying to figure out like I, I don't know what to do with him because he has a 2.31 WOBA on the season. He is, I, I mean, there's some BAPIP issues there at 196. His home run per fly ball rate is only five percent, and it it can't it can't stay that low. It can't possibly stay that low. But he's also like he's still barreling the ball 12.8 percent of the time. He's still got a decent hard hit rate. Like his X stats look pretty good. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, his, like looking at his swing profile, his, he's swinging at more pitches in the zone and he's actually chasing a little bit more too, but like his numbers look very, very similar on both chase rate and zone swing to where he was in 2019. And in 2019, he had a 361 Woba. So like, yes, there's some changes there, but not in a way that's really concerning. His contact rates are fine. I don't know. I don't, I don't I don't get it. I think the biggest change for him in his plate discipline seems to be his first pitch strike percentage, which is way up at 63.6%. And that isn't like that one too. It's like I I don't know why. Maybe hitters are maybe pitchers are just challenging him more because they've gotten tired of walking him so much. But at some point, if that's the case, he's the kind of guy who will just be like, all right, you throw me first pitch strikes, I'll just hammer them. Right, right. He's he's strong and, enough and a good enough hitter to do that. And so, I, man, I, I I don't know. Maybe he just needs to start swinging at first pitches more often. That could be it. And and also, it's worth noting that like, yes, it's way below his career average. But it, it, it we're comparing it to 2021, where I'm pretty sure he led all of baseball in walk rate. His walk rate was a ridiculous 23.3. So like 9.1 is not where you want it to be. It's barely above MLB average. And we want it to be closer to that 15 for the career. But the reason why he's popping up here is like, the, you know, one of the worst is because he was just that crazy at getting on base last year. Yeah. And I think expecting that to repeat itself was unrealistic anyway. That That's probably fair. And maybe he's going to, maybe he belongs on this list. Just, I would have expected him. I still would have expected more than 10% walks from him. I mean, if you look back at his career, sure. he's been below a 10% walk rate once. And that was in 2017. Right. So like you'd expect that to, to get back up. We'll have to see if that happens. Jonathan India, another one. He was at 11.3% last year, and he is at 2.2% this year. 
that is pretty drastic. And, you know, part of that is he was, he missed some time. So he's only had 45 plate appearances. And so these numbers are less meaningful for him than they are for most others. But his swing rates are way up. He's chasing a lot more. He's swinging pitches in the zone a lot more. His contact rates are up too, which I guess is good. His calling card is his patience. Be patient, man. Get back to that. Yeah, that whole team is is just having a rough time of it so far this year. And I, I think he might be pressing because he's fallen into that situation that's going on yeah. in Cincinnati. I mean, they have, what, three wins and like 13 losses or something awful. like that. But but you're right. I mean, it's one thing to say sample size, but then when you look at the chase rate, he needs to he needs to adjust. Yeah, and what's interesting is like you would have thought, sort of like we talked about with Grandal having a big increase in first strikes, India does too. But the overall zone percentage to him is not higher. It's not like pitchers are are coming after him in a way they haven't in the past. You know, maybe they're maybe the pitch mix different, something like that. But they're not they're not more aggressively in the zone, which is one way to counteract a guy who's who's as patient as he is. I think he just needs to go back to being himself right i mean you go yeah. back and look at his minor league numbers and like he always ran high walk rates he just needs to get back to doing that and then i think everything else will fall into place his strikeout rate is right where it was last year i just think he's he's being overly aggressive and he's not he's not waiting for the pitches he can hammer and taking the walks when they're given to him and i he needs to fix that but i think he will i think it's just a he's just got to get out of this funk right so with that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we got a couple more things to look at. Hey, Alex Fast here. And thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back. Going to take a look now at year-over-year changes in pull percentage. And so pull percentage is often an interesting note for anyone who is having significant improvements in their profile. Again, this is a case where like, like we talked about with chase rate, with zone swing, you can make an intentional decision as a hitter to try to turn on the ball more, to try to pull the ball more. It's a little bit harder to execute than just laying off pitches, but it is something you can do. And it, and it's it's been the, the sort of indicator of real changes in the past for guys like Jose Bautista. It was a big shift for him. Jose Ramirez, when he broke out, his pull percentage went up quite a bit. Edwin Encarnacion, you know, those are those are some of the, the big names of guys who really broke out in a big way. But it's often a sign of, of good things. A big part of that is that pulled balls travel farther. You can hit them harder. And that's that is both a case that when you turn on the ball, you're actually able to create more exit velocity, but also balls will just travel farther when pulled. So there's a lot of I good things that happen there. Less or something yeah. like that. Eno was talking about it like a month ago on rates and barrels. It's like they get less spin on the ball, which allows it to just naturally travel further. Yes. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know all the physics behind it, but it is My something like that. Take. So here are your five biggest gainers in poll percentage. Number one, Ryan McMahon has gained 18.5% in his poll rate. Jurek's and Profar at 17.9%. Reese Hoskins at 16.8%. Charlie Blackman at 16%. And Eric Hosmer at 15.3%. Now, like Hoskins and Blackman, to me, Hoskins should just be pulling the ball. And I we've been... I'm a big fan of Hoskins. This doesn't really change much for me. Blackman was always more of an all fields guy. So maybe he's trying to pull the ball more as he ages and and try to counteract some of the declining skills. Yeah, I think so. But the guys I really want to talk about here are the, are the Padres. So Jerickson Profar, who was, you know, Jerickson Profar from a prospect perspective was Wander Franco before Wander Franco was Wander Franco and never really lived up to that, but he is having, quite a season he is he and it's actually fitting that he's the first name we talk about because we've been talking about plate discipline almost this entire episode and he's a guy who has great plate discipline and it's arguably the best it's ever been you know the strike rate's the third worst he's ever had but his walk rate is up to 15.3 now the reason we're talking about him is because of his, his pull rate is way up and like chad said that's gonna naturally result in a lot more power now i noticed the average is down to 186 which might turn people off especially considering this is a guy who has a track record of being a pretty bad player but I think the playtime is is safe for now while the Padres remain pretty beat up. They just sent C.J. Abrams down. And if he continues to pull the ball, I mean, this is a legit candidate to go 2020. I know he's only got one stolen base so far, and he hasn't ever posted anything close to those numbers as far as I can recall. But if you're looking for like real deep, like maybe this guy can at least go 2010, I think that's a it's an opportunity for him this year because I think the playtime is going to be there. And if he has made these adjustments, he's getting on base more. I'm excited about Profar, and I bought him in a lot of places, Chad, which probably explains why he's now performing poorly. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, his his pull rate is up to 55.4%. That is the first time it's been over 50% since his rookie year. He wasn't very good as a rookie, but it is interesting to me that it's it, it mimics what he was doing when he was closest to his prospect days. His stat cast numbers, I mean, his, his max EV is not anything special at 106.7. He's been around 107 the last couple of years in max EV, but his average EV is up. No, that's not the most useful stat, but it does tell you that he's tapping into his, his ability to hit the ball hard more often. His barrel rate would be a career high at 7.1%. It's only four barrels, like not a lot to read into there, but still his hard hit rate would be a career high if it held up. His ex-WOBA would be a career high if it held up, as would his WOBA for that matter. So like everything is sort of pointing the right direction for him. And, and this pull rate to me, again, it's a sign that he's trying to do something intentionally different. Uh, he has also increased his fly ball rate. So his fly ball rate is 43.6%. It was 34.7% for his career. He has never been above 38.5%. And that 38.5% was in 17 plate appearances as a rookie the same year that he came up and was pulling the ball more. So if you look at what he is doing now, which is pulling the ball more and putting it in the air more, that is also what he was doing more often when he was closest to his, you know, big time pedigree prospect days as a 19 year old. And then the plate discipline improvements that you talked about, like, you know, I I was in trade talks about Profar in one of my leagues because I, I picked him up in a bunch of places. I started to talk and trade about him earlier this week, and I ended up backing out 
and deciding I didn't want to move him in the deal that I was discussing. And, and this, a lot of this is why I, I think he's, he's made legitimate changes. And right now, especially in a keeper league, you know, he's still not yet 30. So if he turns this around and get turns into the guy that we think he could be and at this point, the guy we think he could be is not who we thought it might be a decade ago. But if he can turn this around and be solid, like there is long-term value in him, uh, especially as a guy who plays a bunch of different positions and is eligible sort of all over the field right now. And I basically decided, you know what? I'd rather wait and see. And like, if he, if he turns back into a pumpkin for lack of a better term, then I'll move on. Fine. I'll cut him. And it'll be unfortunate if I have to cut him. I don't want to have to cut him, but like I'll live with that if that's what I need to live with. I, I think I'd rather do that than try to cash in and sell high, given that right now selling high on him is just not, it's just not that exciting. I, I'm, it's not like people are, you know, the, the trade talks I was having were like, there was a possibility of like a guy like Luis Arise, who I like, but I don't think his upside is what Profars could be. If that's what a sell high on Profar looks like. I'd rather just wait this out and, and see if like, because if we come back in, in two months, and he's back to being the guy he's been the last, you know, for his career, we'll say, on average, fine. Then I won't have gotten very much out of this. But, like, he has a 345 Woba right now. He had a 335 in 2020 in the shortened season. He had a 341 in 2018. Like, this isn't totally unprecedented for him. And he's doing things that are better than he did in those seasons in terms of his pull rate and and some of his batted ball numbers. And so... I. I think there's upside here. I'll, I'll, I'll wait it out. If, if I can't, if I can't sell for what he's doing right now, then I'll wait it out and see if he continues. I think it's, he's the type of player that's incredibly hard to sell high because if you have him, you're believing it and you want to keep him. But if you're buying him, you're, you're, you're going to pay basically a little bit better than his draft costs. And I think it's important. Sometimes we got to simplify it. You brought this up. His pull percentage up his fly ball rate is up. That's what we want in a power hitter. Hit the ball in the air and pull it. And he's doing that. So I think, and I think I said this last week, I can't remember. He's becoming what we were hoping to get out of Trent Grisham. And I know you're not out on Trent Grisham and and, and he's your guy. So I'm going to tread carefully here. But like if, if Profar is going to be 25 homers, 10 stolen bases, fat for a fine average and get on base a lot. Well, isn't that kind of what we thought Trent Grisham was going to be? So I'm kind of excited about Profar. If you didn't listen to the first pitch podcast on Sunday, I did note in there, <laughs> That Grisham, I'm trying to find my note now because I think he was like two for five in his game and had like four hard hit balls. Like he oh he had a really God. nice game Saturday, and now I can't find my note. I'm very sad. There's a pulse. Here we go. Trent Grisham was two for five, two hard hit balls, both in the air. And based on his X batting average on his balls in play, he easily could have had three or four hits last night. So some really good signs from from Grisham. I, I think he'll be. I think he'll be fine. That note, by the way, on on Grisham was buried in a conversation about the next guy I want to talk about, who's Eric Hosmer. He made a profar, and Hosmer also that that pull rate is up, and that is that is very very good to see. Forty six point seven percent would be a career high pull rate. Now, the issue for Hosmer for his entire career has been the fly ball rate. Right, this guy beats the ball into the ground, and so here it is. Right. Profar is turning this around. He's putting the ball in the air more. He's putting it, put, pulling it more. Maybe Hosmer's doing the same because he's he's having a huge year so far. And like I, I was so down on Hosmer. I was talking about the Hosmer being a DFA for the Padres, and he's been so good. 
his fly ball rate this year. Is he doing the same thing? Does he have a new a new skill here? No. <laughs> he has a career low fly ball rate. Eric By Hosmer. a mile, too. Yeah. His, <laughs> his, I mean, he once, he did in 2018 have a 19.7% fly ball rate. It is down to 18.3% this year. 18.3%. Like, he has a 60% ground ball rate. I... I He's getting by this year because he's got a 27.3% home run per fly ball rate, which is, hey, that's good. He is also like his top, his max exit velocity is the highest it's been since 2019. But like his barrel rate would be a career low if the season ended right now. As we already said, his fly ball rate would be a career low if the season ended right now. Like this is, there are so many bad signs here. I'm just, I don't know. I, He's got a 439 bat pip and a 27.3 home run per fly ball rate. Those numbers are both going to go down. They're going to go down a lot. And when you have a when your home run per fly ball rate is not that good, which his probably won't be, and you don't hit any fly balls at all, then you don't hit home runs. And so like Eric Hosmer to me, his walk rate is up and his strikeout rate's down. Those are also good signs. So like maybe he's a little bit more than he was last year. Right? But like Man, this is a mirage. Yeah, when you said his home run to fly ball rate was like you know twenty whatever, I, I I was expecting you to say a hundred percent because I thought if he's he's got a six point seven fly ball rate, I'm pretty sure all of his fly balls were his three home runs. So <laughs> that's all I really have to say on Eric Hosmer. If you can sell high, then do it. But anybody buying high on Eric Hosmer, you need to turn in your fantasy baseball card. Yeah, it's just. every year he goes through a hot streak like this. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder if he's hitting more fly balls. Cause like there, there's like, there is, there is some universe in the multiverse where Eric Hosmer listened to someone and was like, in the hall of fame. Oh, if I just try to elevate the ball, like he is Christian Yelich. That's who he is. Right. With, with worse plate discipline. Right. So he's not, he doesn't have like Yelich had, Speed and plate discipline that Hosmer doesn't. So even when Yelich was with the Marlins and not elevating the ball, but like those those peak Yelich seasons, like those are in Hosmer's bat. They exist, and he has not been able to tap into them. And so every time he has a little hot streak, I'm like, maybe this is happening. No, nope, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, he's pulling the ball more. It is good to see him pulling the ball more. But if he's going to keep beating the ball into the ground when he pulls it, Fine. Hit a bunch of hard hit balls to the third baseman and let him throw you out. The other end of the spectrum on pull percentage, guys who are pulling the ball less. Most of these, I'm I'm just sort of, I'm not that concerned about, but Joey Wendell is a, had a 15.3% drop in his pull percentage. Brad Miller, a 15.4% drop. Will Myers, 16.1%. Andrew McCutcheon, 16.4%. Mike Zunino, 25.4%. You know, a guy like Wendell, like, He's not a big power hitter. His pull percentage is probably less important to me than it is for some of the others. Brad Miller, there's a little bit of concern here for a guy who I thought might have a pretty good year. Andrew McCutcheon had a really rough start and has been better lately, so I, I want to give him some time on that. Mike Zanino, though, is the one who jumps out at me because this guy last year was a was a fa- valuable fantasy player 100% based on his ability to smash home runs. Right. He was like the poor man Salvi. And if his very poor man yeah. Salvi. <laughs> but I mean, in, in the idea that like 
You're going to get no, yeah, you're right. nothing else but home runs out of a catcher. And honestly, the biggest difference between Zunino and Salvi last year was the number Everything. of plate appearances. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, all right, I'm going to now now I got to get into this because I, I, I think it's actually closer than people think, um, because last year, Salvador Perez got 665 plate appearances and hit 48 home runs. Zunino had 375 plate appearances. That's almost 300 fewer plate appearances and had 33 home runs. He was a better power hitter than Sal Perez last year. Now, he had a much lower average, right? He had 216 instead of Perez hit 273, I think. Yeah, 273. Some of that was BAPIP. Zunino only had a 231 BAPIP, but he's always going to have sort of a low BAPIP, so you don't want to read too much into that. But if... This would not be a good idea for the Rays. So if anyone from the Rays is listening, I'm not suggesting you do this. If the Rays use Zunino in their lineup the way the Royals use Perez and just plugged him in every day at some position and just let him go, he would out Homer Sal Perez. Last year. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying going forward. Last year, he was hitting home runs at a much, much higher pace. He was, and, and I'll give him credit because he was doing that as a catcher. And Sal Perez's, most of his plate appearances came as a DH, but that's why I have a hard time just like rating it out because yeah, I, I, I just have a hard time comparing these. I mean, I get what you're saying, so, especially at the position. Are you looking at one of them right now? No, I'm looking at both. Okay. Look at one of them without looking at the other for just a second. Which one are you looking at? I'm looking at Perez. Okay. He had a 359 Woba last year, right? What was yeah. Unino's Woba? Without looking, what do you think Zunino's Woba was? Like 10 points higher, 10 points lower, 20 points lower? I'm going to say it's also 359. <laughs> you're like, you're just playing the game now. You're like, you're like I'm not even going to tell you what I think it is. I'm just going to, that would most, most fit this narrative. <laughs> 358. Okay. So, so I, I mean, I, and I am not saying like, this is not a, like, we should have been drafting Zunino at the same spot. We should have drafted Perez. Like there, there are lots no, of no, other of differences. Right. I, and so, but my, my point is just that like Zunino last year basically provided the same value. I mean, it's a different way of looking at it in, in all those plate appearances in part, because he was DH so often Perez put up a 3.3 F war. Zunino was 4.5. Like Zunino was as a baseball player, Comparable to Perez last year, he was doing the same power thing in fewer plate appearances. But no, that I'll give you because yeah. Perez as a baseball player is overrated. And I'm sorry yeah. to all our Royals fans, listeners. I'm sure we just lost all of them, but yeah. he just is. I'm sorry. Well, I'm willing to live with that because uh, I agree. He's he's fine. <laughs> I mean, actually, like I, I think that I think the thing that uh, he's overrated, and the reason I think it's important to point out that he's that he's not bad, right? I don't want to say he's a bad baseball no, player, but that 3.3 F WAR was almost a career high for him. He put up a 3.5 back in 2013 and people are talking about him. Like he's a future hall of famer and like two, three win seasons. And most of his seasons being below one win. Like, no, he's not, he's not at all. He's not even in, to me, he's not even in the conversation. So no, but Zunino getting back to him since he's the one we were talking about his home run per fly ball rate this year is down to 6.7%. Last year was 30.3%. Now, I totally understand why you might be like, well, he wasn't going to maintain 30.3%. That's crazy. But 6.7% is equally crazy, maybe more crazy. I would have expected him to be 20%, something like that. Like he has legit power and it's this pull rate. Like last year, part of that breakout for him 
was he put up a pull rate of 58.9%. He had been over 58% once before in 2018, but that was, and, and that was a, a decent power season for him with 20 home runs. But his, but his fly ball rate was only 44% that year. So 2021, he ups his fly ball rate to 54%. He puts up this 58% pull rate. And this year, he's, he's not pulling the ball at all. And his fly ball rate is still good. But because he's not pulling it, he's not getting home runs off of those, those fly balls. And so what happens when you don't get home runs off fly balls? They turn into outs, right? And that's the big problem with, with you know, the... One of the big things I have an issue with when somebody's like, oh, you should just, you know, this guy needs to hit more fly balls. Like you only need to hit more fly balls if you can get them out of the park. Because if you can't get them out of the park, they go into gloves more often than not. And this is just an ugly, ugly turnaround. And I think, I don't know if it's just that Zunino has to pull the ball more. Like, I don't know if that's the only issue here. It's the one that stands out to me. And it's pretty concerning Especially when you consider that, although he's on, I think he's still on the COVID IL, Francisco Mejia, he's got a 422 Woba so far in the young season. And there's some, there's some, you know, red flags in his Woba. He's got a 50% home run per fly ball rate. He's got a 400 bat if it's only 24 plate appearances, but like Francisco Mejia is still only 26 years old and has some real pedigree. If Zunino is not going to be able to pull the ball and hit it out of the park, then I don't know how long he actually keeps his job, at least not a, not a, lion's share of it no and that that's it right there he has no margin for error he needs to be hitting home runs or that's it because you can't strike out 40 percent of the time and so the, re- the reason why i kind of laughed at the, the comparison and 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 I, it, jokes aside i get it right because at the end of the day there's five categories and perez and zunino contribute one of them and that's home run and that's what we look for but because of how much he strikes like perez strikes out a lot zunino strikes out so much that like you're looking at at best like a 220 average yeah. And so even if another catcher is only going to hit 240 to 250, they're not going to contribute. They're not going to help you in batting average, but they're not going to hurt you as bad as he is. So if he's also not adding in home runs, then he's useless. And I'm sure most of our listeners have probably already dropped him for Darno or Bart or Stassi or Collins or whoever is out there. But he's, to me, an easy drop and just forget about him. I'm, I'm done with him. See you later. Yeah, I agree. And I would watch if he starts to hit home runs in bunches again, I would look at that pull rate and see if he's starting to turn on the ball again. And if he is, I back in. Nothing wrong with that. So we've gone through some lists of changes in strikeout rate, walk rate, and pull percentage. There's some others just sort of stack cast notes out there that I know you want to you want to bring up. Who are some of the guys that you've just noticed something interesting about? Yeah, so I definitely want to start with Anthony Rizzo because I think it's it's one of the more obvious ones, but it's still worth pointing out if you're thinking like, man, Rizzo is this is a little fluky. Like, yeah, Yankee Stadium's really helping him, but there's no way he's going to keep this up. I don't know about that. Right now, he has nine home runs, but his expected home runs is about six. And that's because his pull rate, which we were just talking about, he was not on that list, surprisingly, but that's because he's typically a a pretty heavy pull rate hitter. Anyway, his pull rate is up to 56.3%. It is by far a career high. For his career, he's at 42.1. Eight of his nine homers have gone to right field. Seven of nine are at home, where we know it's it's a little league ballpark. I'm sorry, Yankee fans. It is. We have a big, weird wall in left field, so I'm not like firing shots, but this is nonsense. All seven of those home runs at home have gone to right field. He's lifting the ball in the air and just poking it, and it's going out in that little league ballpark. And so it's it's just going to keep happening. So I, I like I'm kind. I'm not saying to buy high on Anthony Rizzo because I'm pretty sure you have to give one of your kidneys, but like he's awesome he, like th- this is just going to continue 
Yeah, I mean, his his fly ball rate this year, so he didn't show up on that list because we only read the top five. He's ninth in terms of gain and fly, in, in, not fly ball rate, in terms of gain and pull percentage. His pull percentage on the year, as you said, at 56.3 is the second highest in baseball. So yes, he did pull the ball a lot before, but he's pulling it a lot more now. To me, Rizzo is the kind of guy who like, if you reach out to another manager and you say, I'm interested in Anthony Rizzo. The, the, yeah, you're, you're, you're never going to get them because they're immediately thinking like, all right, what can I make this guy pay for Anthony Rizzo? Right. If you've got a manager who has put on their block something like, you know, will they want to trade power for pitching. They've got an extra first baseman, something like that. And they've got Rizzo on their team. I would inquire. And I think you have to figure out the right way to inquire where you're not like, like I said, because if you just say like, I'm interested in Rizzo. But if you say like, hey, I see that you've got, you know, three first basemen and you're willing to trade one of them. Who are you most interested in trading? I'd be interested in any of them. Like, let's see if we can land on something. Like, those are the kind of situations where someone who's like, eh, I don't know if I buy this from Rizzo might say like, hey, I got the MLB the home run leader. You want him? And then you can be like, you convince them. Yeah. Right. Let, let them put his name out there. Because once they put his name out there, like, and one of the things I, I will say, like, I'm a, I'm a big advocate that in trade talks, like, you don't want to mislead people. You don't want to lie to people. You're like, your goal should not be to be like a trickster. But if what, so you can let them put Rizzo's name out there though. And once they do, you can be like, yeah, actually, I think he's doing some interesting stuff this year. I'm, I'd be interested in Rizzo. Like you can be honest and you can be straightforward and have a real conversation, but let them, let them say they're interested in trading him. If somebody puts them on the trade block, reach out and be like, Hey, I saw you have Rizzo on his trade on your trade block. I could use a first baseman. Let's talk. If you can do that, then I would, I'd be interested in, in, I'd buy high. But I think you're right that if you just call the guy who's got Rizzo and say, I want Rizzo, they're going to be like, what about Soto? And you're like, <laughs> no, <laughs> look who has more home runs. Right. So I like, I, I, I'm with you that you've got to be, you can't just come out and ask for that guy because it's, it's going to be too challenging. I also think in, you know, in, in these keeper formats, he's 32, so he's not super young. That contract with New York is a two-year contract, but he can opt out after this year. And so one thing I would keep in mind, and this is where if I have Rizzo and I get to like June, July, like right now, if I have Rizzo, I'm very happy. I'm just, I'll just ride this. If I get to June or July and I'm not contending and I have Rizzo on a keeper league team, I would put him on the block. And I, I even though like his draft cost was low this year, which means that you're probably not paying a ton for him to keep him. I don't know that he'll be back in Yankee Stadium next year, and I don't know that I buy this resurgence outside of Yankee Stadium. His swing is so well tailored to that park right now. And, of course, I'm saying this after he hit a home run in Kauffman Stadium last night. I'm not saying he'll never hit home runs again anywhere else or anything like that. But I'd be – I don't know. We should revisit this in like June or July and see what his overall line of the season looks like and what his home road splits look like and stuff like that. Because if he maintains this, he's he's going to opt out, right? I mean, if he does, any, he's got a sixteen million dollar contract for. I think it's sixteen million for. I think it was just it's two years, thirty two million. I think it's sixteen for each year. He will have an opportunity, maybe not to necessarily get a lot more than a sixteen million AAV next off season, but certainly a multi year deal based on what he's doing right now, sure. if this continues. if he And I don't even mean this, right? He's got a 456 Woba. That won't continue. He is not going to hit the 72 home runs he is on pace for. But <laughs> <laughs> 
if he puts up only like, 60, right. But if he puts up like a 30 home run season, which he's, you know, he's done three or four times in his career. Like if he, if he looks like he did in like, you know, peak years with the Cubs with a high on base percentage, decent average and 30 plus home runs, he'll get a contract in this off season that like he'll opt out and that's fine. But if he does that, then his keeper value, I think changes quite a bit. And I think part of what hurt him in draft season this year was everyone being like, yeah, I mean, even though he wasn't really, because he wasn't great for the Yankees last year, he wasn't really any better than he was for the Cubs, but there was still this sense of like, man, if I knew he was in New York, you know, I, I would pay a lot more for him. And then everyone bailed on that because he didn't, it wasn't clear where he was going to be. I, I think like, I think he's going to have a much better season this year than he did last year or than he did in 2020. I think he's going to look more, maybe not all the way back to his like 2019, 2017 self, but like his 2018 season could be about right. If he does that with 30 home runs, he's going to opt out. He's going to end up somewhere else. His value is going to drop because of that. And so if I have him and I'm not contending, I do think I would consider shopping him despite the fact that his cost is going to be a good keeper cost because you'll get a ton for him from someone who plans to keep him. And I think he's going to be less valuable next year. Yeah. You really play your chips right and and get a lot of value here. Yeah. Anyone else you wanted to make sure we cover? Instead, I'm just going to do rapid fire because we're way up against the clock and people lightning round. Yeah. Lightning round. Here we go. Julio Rodriguez is right now eighth in baseball on average exit velocity on fly balls or line drives. So Patrick Wisdom leads that group, which sounds crazy. The other names are Judge, Stanton, Guerrero, Riley, Soto, Ozuna. So Rodriguez, it's just a matter of time. He's going to start heating up, and he leads baseball on stolen bases. He could finish top 10 on the player radar before the end of the year. Going even quicker on the lightning round, Randy Rosarena. I told you to avoid him. He's got the lowest launch angle in baseball at 1.6 degrees and zero home runs to go with it. Do not give up on Willie Adamas. He has just as many barrels as CJ Crone, Anthony Rizzo, and Bryce Harper. That's more than Jose Ramirez, Seiya Suzuki, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. Not only have Luis Robert, Jesse Winker, Kyle Tucker all been super unlucky, which everybody has heard on every podcast. However, look at Trey Mancini's numbers. He's been arguably just as unlucky as those guys as well. Jose Barrios' numbers before, so before far you jump to Before you jump to Barrios, I just want to throw in something on Mancini, which is he has, four, he has four starts in the outfield already. So Mancini, I I mentioned this also, I'm I'm just going to mention this on every podcast I do, because I mentioned it on first pitch on Sunday morning. I'm going to mention it now. Four starts in the outfield. He is due for a big breakout by, by now, by fast. Absolutely. Because at some point in the next, like maybe week, he's going to get outfield eligibility in a bunch of places. And if you buy after that, it's going to be way more expensive. Like buy, 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 buy. No, I love that. And it actually reminds me, Max Muncy just had his ninth start at third base last night. So if you play in leagues where 10 begin to qualify, he is about to get third base. He's been terrible, but it's going to be huge for one of my teams that he gets that. And we're almost done here. Jose Barrios has the most hard hit balls against. He has the second highest hard hit percentage against and the third highest barrel percentage against. He's been terrible. It's a small sample. It's only, what, four or five starts at most, but major yikes for Amber Valdez and Tyler Molly don't give up on them they have yet to be barreled up and based on the numbers look into Trevor Rogers he's a great buy low right now and his last two starts have actually been really strong but the ERA the whip still look terrible from that absolute blow up he had not too long ago yeah lots of good notes in there some interesting names to take a deeper look at I you know Barrios has been a guy who I always thought was not bad but overrated and people had higher expectations for him than I did and so I've sort of stayed away and that's paying off this year. It hasn't always paid off, but it is this year. So I feel good about that, I guess. 
So with that, thank you very much for listening. As a reminder, you can follow the show on Twitter at Keep or Cut. You can find Pete at Pete D Baseball and find me at Chad Young. Wherever you are listening to this, hit the subscribe button, leave us a rating or a review or both. We love to see those. It really helps us to grow the audience. And with that, we will talk to you next week.